Good morning, everyone. Welcome to this uh, second Water's Edge Sunday. And today I'm going to share with you the progress that we've made from our first worship at Water's Edge Sunday, which was on Sunday, May the 3rd. How many of you were here Sunday, May the 3rd? Any of you remember that? We said, okay, we believe that God is calling us to be a, a multi-site church with uh, basically which stretches from Holland to the ends of the globe. Specifically, we said that we, uh, we had a vision for at least six campuses. Now, how many of you get the e-weekly? Okay, so a lot of you, some of you already know this, some of you don't. Since most of you in this service don't, I'm going to leave that for a few moments. But our goal has been as a church since 1981, believe it or not, when one of the first mission conferences was, was held here, a, a, coin, a phrase was coined that said, we want to be a church that stretches from Holland and beyond, reaches Holland and beyond, goes from the end of the world uh, to the ends of the world for the sake of the gospel. Now, there were many verses in the Scriptures that really kind of catapulted that vision. But one of them was this, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Many of you will, will know that. There, Jesus, the words of Jesus to His disciples, just before He ascends to the Father, He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. This has been an important verse for us. As we've meditated on this, as we've wrestled with the implications of this in a very changing America and in a very changing world, we've said, what is this verse teaching us today? And as I looked at that, I noticed that there were six statements being made in those verses. Six. It begins with Jesus defining the problem right there in the first word. He says, but. And that's a pretty big but, if you excuse the pun. It actually addresses an issue that the disciples raise in verse 6. Jesus, will you at this stage restore the kingdom to Israel? We just talked about the kingdom. They're completely misunderstanding what it is that Jesus is doing. And he says in verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or the hour. And then he says, but. This but goes back to verse 6. You see, in verse 6, Jesus, uh, they ask a question about the end. And in verse 8, with this word, Jesus addresses a problem. He says, listen, I reject the idea that disciples look starry-eyed about the end times. And rather, he says, my disciples will fix their eyes in the present time. We believe that's a danger today. The world is a dangerous place. We've just done a series on the kingdom. So much conversation happening around when will the end come. Just like the questions the disciples asked in verse 6. And we believe that God is speaking to us today. And God is saying clearly to us, listen, my disciples, do not gaze starry-eyed into the future. But they live with a fixed eye firmly on the present. But there's a problem. Church is concerned with so many things when we need to be concerned about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. That God's rule can come on heaven, on earth, just as it is in heaven. It can bring healing and wholeness to the ends of the world. There's a problem that God is causing us as disciples 
to be aware of. The second truth that is being communicated in this verse is that this truth about the proclamation of the kingdom is being given to persons, to people, but you. Who is that? The 12? No. The 120? No. What you see from Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, what you see in the events of the coming of the Spirit on the disciples in Acts chapter 2 is that this is for the whole world. This is a message to all of us. The you here includes you. It includes me. It includes us. Uh, thirdly, we notice that there's a power that's being addressed here. Jesus says, you will receive power. Interestingly, this word is the Greek word dynamis. Dynamic is the word that we get that from. This Greek word is also the word used to describe the miracles that Jesus does in the Gospels. In other words, the power that empowered Jesus in his life as a man is being given to us also. This is important. What it basically means is Jesus didn't do what he did in his life as a man simply because he was God. He did it empowered by the very same power, Jesus says, that empowers all of you who are my disciples and commit to live life firmly fixed on proclaiming my truth to the ends of the world. Next, we notice that this power is given for a reason. There's proclamation. The power of God is attached to the proclamation that God's people make. He says, you will be my witnesses. There's a proclamation that we're making. Notice the word my there, it's important. In this verse, what we're essentially noticing through this word is that this proclamation that we make isn't simply about Jesus. Of course, the gospel is about Jesus. But Jesus here is focusing on something that he was doing, that he was proclaiming. His first words, Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is the proclamation. Listen, God's kingdom has come. God can break into your life and, and make a difference because of what Jesus has done. There can be healing. There can be wholeness. This is our proclamation. The proclamation we make is the proclamation He makes. This isn't simply a witness to Jesus. This is a witness with Jesus. This is a witness for Jesus. This is a ministry of ours that actually runs parallel to His that's the idea here. It's a continuation of his ministry. Also, this word witnesses ties us to the fact that there is also a price to be paid. The word witnesses here is a transliteration that we get the English word martyr from. The idea here is, listen, it's going to cost you. To be committed to this proclamation in this world, there are people, Jesus says, in this city of Jerusalem that aren't going to like it. There are many missionaries we've got across the world that minister in places where they don't like this. There is a price that they pay, and there's a price that the church pays in order uh, to do this. So we've gone through all of this. We've talked, looked at the problem. We can be focused on the wrong things. We can look at the people. This applies to all of us. We've looked at the power, the power that empowers us, empower Jesus. We look at the proclamation. This is a ministry that Jesus himself proclaimed. It witnesses, of course, to Christ, but this is a continuation of the witness that Christ himself made. You know, we look at the price that needs to be paid, and then lastly, we get to this. We get to the place. Notice the pronoun here, and. You'll be my witnesses. You'll make this proclamation in Judea and Samaria. Uh, in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Notice it doesn't say Jerusalem, then Judea. It's not sequential. 
You don't reach Jerusalem first and then you're concerned with the ends of the world. Have you ever heard this? Why do we talk so much about missions? Why don't we reach our own first? Guys, it's not sequential. Jesus doesn't say Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the ends of the earth. He actually says, and. Pronouns are really important. In English, I always got my pronouns wrong. But it's really dangerous to get our pronouns wrong in the Bible. Notice it doesn't say when either. It's not consequential. It's not sequential. First this, then that. It's not consequential. It's not you do Judea when Jerusalem is done. You do Judea when you've paid off all your debt. You do mission and send out missionaries when certain criterion have been fulfilled. It's and. What does this mean? It's concurrent. Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And this is really the challenge, isn't it? How do we do all this? And let me just say, I believe this is a challenge that the church in the world, generally speaking, hasn't done very well. It's very difficult to balance our Jerusalem, which is our locality, with reaching the ends of the world. Our water's edge vision was very simple. It was essentially to make sure that we take Acts 1-8 and try to make this work as best as we possibly can, recognizing it's not consequential. We can't focus on reaching the ends of the, of the earth when we get everything sorted. It's not sequential. We can't do this after we've done something else. We've got to try and do both together. Church, this is really difficult to do. We saw how difficult that was even in the news over the last month. The International Mission Board, that is the mission arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention have now 4,700 missionaries sent out from the United States to the four corners of the world. They announced in September that they were bringing back between 600 and 800 missionaries off the field. They were doing that because they are $21 million behind on their missions budget. $21 million. The obvious question that we need to ask is, why were they $21 million behind? There are two dominant reasons with this. The first reason is this. A church that solely focuses on sending people abroad without strengthening at home will one day pay the price for it. If we think that reaching the ends of the world is more important than going to the end of the street, then everything that we have right now, everything that the church has right now, is put on the table because there's no guarantee that in 15 or 20 years we will actually have the strength to keep sending these people to the ends of the world. They're $21 million behind, a number of reasons for that. Well, one of them is their churches at home aren't as strong as they once were. Do you know why? America changed over the last 40 years, and they never changed with it. And who pays when the church doesn't strengthen at home? All of the missionaries, all of those people that sacrifice so much, that invest their life are actually pulled back. Since 2009, the International Mission Board has actually seen 1,200 missionaries come off the field as a result of that. Acts 1-8 is important in Jerusalem and Judea. 
and Samaria and the ends of the world. There's not one field more important than the others, but as a church we need to recognize we were able to send 100 missionaries out of this place between 1991 and 200 because we were strong at home. We're able to continue to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars, over $15 million into missions over the last decade. You know why? Because we were strong at home. Let me tell you this. Over the next 20 years, we will only be able to do this if we continue to be strong at home. It has to happen. We have to do both. And so we have this vision. What is that vision that simply says, we believe that God is calling us to be a church that actually exists in at least six campuses that stretch from Holland to the ends of the earth. And so last month we said, okay, we're, st we're starting to do this. We all know about this church, this campus, but there's more. 750 to 1,000 people every week engage with us online. Right now, we've got a team of people that are just over there interacting with people online. Do you know that many people come to our church first time, and the first, uh, the first time after having gone through the online experience? Our online community is larger than 90, over 90%, 95% of Wesleyan churches in all of North America. There are people we minister to over and over again. We expanded that to La Roca. In a few moments, you'll have an opportunity to meet Pastor Jose of the La Roca campus. There are between 15 and 20,000 Hispanics in uh, the Ottawa County area. Many of the Hispanic community is underrepresented with churches. We need more Hispanic churches planted because the future of the church in North America is Hispanic, just like the future of the church across the world is African. So we said, okay, we need to make inroads here. We need to move. So we started to move. You know, I'm mindful of the fact that you say something in May, and by September, you're already halfway there. That's pretty quick, right? Well, today I want to tell you there's two more campuses that we're pleased to introduce to you. Our campus in Cambodia and our campus in Indonesia. We're already a church of five campuses. And I praise God for that. Obviously, hopefully, what's going to happen here is when we say, hey, we want to do this, we, we want to move to being something and doing something, hopefully you realize we don't waste much time when it comes to doing that. That's one of the things I believe in. If we say we're going to do something, let's just go do it. Yeah. Let's just go do it. Yeah. Now, some of you are looking at this and you're thinking, Craig, how on earth is all of this working? So this is important. Sunday, December the 6th, 4.30, hors d'oeuvres, only for 15 minutes. Did any of you know there was an H on hors d'oeuvres, by the way? I discovered something today. I've never seen it in print. <laughs> Shows my linguistic ignorance, doesn't it? But uh, 4, 4.30 uh, for a time of fellowship, then 4.45. We're going to talk about this, this strategy that we have for ministering home and away, here and there. It's really important to us. We cannot focus on overseas without recognizing America has changed, Holland has changed, the community has changed. We have to change. We have to retool. We're going to share with you what we believe God is telling us to do in order to do that. But there's, there's more that we want to do. We want to be able to, to take you with us on this journey. So note that date. But some of you are looking at this and you're thinking, Craig, let's go back at that. You're looking at this and thinking, that's a, that's a long way from home. Why on earth there? Now, of course, the great thing a pastor can do is I can stand here and I can say, God said it, and that's it. You all need to accept it, right? 
you, you've heard that. Yeah, that may be true. I'm not going to say it's not, but I think there's more to it than this. This makes strategic sense with what is going on in the world. And what I want to do for a couple of minutes is just take you along with me. As I've shared this strategy with some of our elders and some of our staff, it's been like a, a drip feeding uh, vision. Because I've discovered that if I share too much too soon, it's kind of like putting the headlights on in the dark. It's just like drinking from a fire hydrant. So what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to take you part of the way there. And then in a few moments, you're actually going to get an opportunity to meet, through technology, unfortunately, two of the, uh, the new campus pastors. You'll meet Pastor Jose, and there's another, oh, by the way, for you uh, before you leave as well. But why this part of the world? Why there? Well, the 1040 window. How many of you have heard of the 1040 window? This is uh, what you call missiologists, people who talk about what the church needs to do in the world. And they'll talk about the 1040 window. That's a geographical area between 10 north and 40 degrees north latitude. The new 1040 window is slightly larger than that as the world has changed. So this phrase, the 1040 window, has become a buzzword for the kind of key areas for the church in the world. Missiologists today will also use another term. They'll call it world A, world B, world C. It's probably slightly easier. World A, the unevangelized world that the church has never been to. World B, the parts that the church has been to, but they're largely unchristian. World C, the Christianized part of the world. This 1040 window is critical. Way back again in the early 90s, God laid this window on the heart of the, of the church, and we were strategic in partnering, and we still partner. In fact, the missionary who, who drives that part of the uh, ministry in that part of the world is here right now on a sabbatical. I'm not going to say more than that because it's a difficult part of the world. But this part of the world has been on our hearts for 20 years. And as we've looked at what is happening in that part of the world, we've recognized we need to continue to do what we've done, but we also need to do something slightly different. So this is a strategy for, for this part of the world, the 1040 window or the, or the world A, those people that have been unreached and unengaged. They've never even heard the name of Jesus, many of them. So why here? I love this topic. I could spend hours on this, but I've got seven minutes to get this thing done. So just work with me quickly here. Why this part of the world? Simply, the historical and biblical significance of it. Much of the story of the Bible happens in this window. Genesis 1 begins there. Revelation 22. Uh, Revelation, the book of Revelation talks about Jesus coming back. The beginning and the end of the scriptures are in there. This is a historically and a biblically significant part of the world that we cannot neglect. And the vast majority of people who live there have never heard the name of Jesus. Secondly, the most, or the least rather, unevangelized countries of the world are in this window. The top 37 of the 50 most unreached nations of the world are all in this window. But guess what? Of those 50 unreached nations, 97% of them live in the 37 countries in those windows, in that window. The least evangelized actually live here, the least reached. Now, some people will say, why do we want to reach people with Jesus? Let everybody do their own thing. No, no other religion actually promises that through the power of their founder, the resurrection power that conquers all things, even death, can actually bring healing and wholeness to, to life. There's something unique about our faith. 
Uh, thirdly, you got the prevalence of the poor. Eight out of ten of the world's poor live in this window. Poverty is connected to those that are unreached. And what do we believe? We believe that the kingdom of God isn't just pie in the sky when you die, but meat on the plate while you wait. It's about actually changing people's lives. There's something called salvation and lift that when Jesus touches you, you never stay the same. Something changes. We wanted to change for the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, because that's Luke chapter 4. That was Jesus' manifesto. Fourthly here, the least evangelized megacities are in there. Of the top 50 of the largest cities, the megacities, they're all in this window. See, the Christian faith in the New Testament was an urban faith. Christians in the New Testament moved into the highly populated cities. In today's world, we move out. Did you know that the word for pagan actually comes from the word country dweller? People in the countries didn't respond to the faith, but people in the cities did. So you put all of this together and you realize that this zone is a really important zone. We cannot do justice to the Great Commission and ignore this part of the world. But the problem is that part of the world has changed and it continues to change. And so we've employed this campus approach that we have because we think it makes sense to, to do this, pursue this strategy in light of a very changing world and a very changing window. So why campuses? Firstly, most missionaries continue to go to the mostly Christianized nations. So the William Carey Institute does most of the academic research on missions this is what they say. The most Christianized nations receive more than 30%, 34% of all international missionaries. Many 1040 window countries restrict or deny missionary access, and therefore they only receive 9%, less than 9% of all international missionaries. You see the problem here? We can't get in like we used to. This is a big problem. Secondly, Many 1040 windows are therefore closed to Western missionaries. Now, why is this important? America sends more missionaries than any other country on the face of the earth. We may be concerned with what's going on, but thank God for what is going on. Every year, about 127,000 Americans leave this place in order to go and serve God somewhere, some other part of the world. That is an amazing stat. But the problem is, we can't get into some of these places like we used to. But we can't do it. That's a number of reasons why. Of the 10 countries in the world that are classified as the hardest for us to get into, seven of those are in this area. Seven of them are in the window. Most highly populated. Secondly, and guys, this is a challenge to you and to me. Women account for disproportionately more, a large percentage of U.S. missionaries, with single women outnumbering single men on the mission field and the desire to go by four to one. Guys, it's time we catch up. It's time, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, wherever it is, that the passion that flows through our wives, our moms, our sisters, our female colleagues, starts to become our passion as well because they outnumber us four to one. What's the problem with that? The problem with that is, unfortunately, many of those cultures don't accept the testimony of a woman. 
in the biblical culture, that was also the case. Little has changed over 2,000 years. Do I believe this is right? No. Do I believe God can use everyone? Yes, that's just the fact. There's not enough men going. And therefore, the women that go in have a double problem. That's namely one of them. Thirdly, and I love this, this is God's wisdom. The global south is now a sending zone. Do you know what we mean by the global south? It's again a missionary term that you have the northern hemisphere, the southern hemisphere. The global south refers to the, the churches in the southern hemisphere. We would call some of those, you know, third world countries. They're now sending people. Do you know that America receives 40,000 missionaries a year? Actually, I'm probably one of those. <laughs> 40,000. In previous years, the number two sending nation in the world for missionaries was South Korea. Our, our um, choral director, orchestra director, Min, he's from South Korea. Do you know what number two, number two is? What nation is number two in the world right now? They're sending 40,000 a year. Brazil. Brazil. And these global south countries are actually rising up the scale. They're sending more and more and more and more. And do you know what's unique about these guys? What's unique about them is, is that they can get into places where we can't. And so what we believe needs to happen is that in some parts of the world, what needs to happen is the West. These northern churches need to recognize that we need to shift in some of these places that we can't get into, but God wants to get into. We need to shift and take up a supporting, training, equipping role to enable those people that can go to go. You know, I've said it again. We've got about, what, 2,900 seats in here? But that really doesn't matter. What matters is not how many people we seat, but how many people we sent. No, I'm saying in certain parts of the world, it doesn't matter how many we send. It matters how many are sent. That's the deal. Because it's not about us. And so what we recognize with this strategy and with these campuses is, listen, these campuses are strategically placed in a part of the world that is unique, that is hard, that is difficult, but these believers have a passion to go into the places where we can't. And so what we're going to do is we're going to engage in a knowledge transfer experiment. We're basically going to take what we do really, really well, and we're going to teach them to do it so that they can go and teach others to do what they've been taught. Isn't that what actually the Bible says? Isn't the Great Commission actually a training commission teaching them to do? Teaching them to do. So these campuses are strategically located in a mission-critical part of the world with churches, with pastors in these campuses that are committed to reaching this portion of Southeast Asia for Jesus Christ. And this is a new strategy, and we're excited by it, and I hope that you are too. This is just the beginning. I believe that you'll see a lot more of this. I believe over the next few years, you'll see the largest churches in America actually taking more of a supporting role, empowering the global south to go places where the north can't. People are cynical about the west, but they're not cynical about the south, and they're certainly open to the message of Jesus communicated to people who are more like them. And that's the incarnation. God became just like us. So we're excited. Central is now a church of five campuses stretching from Holland to the ends of the world. But, by the way, as Steve Jobs would say, there's more. 
We also believe that there needs to be more of a ministry in some of our cities in Michigan. And so what we are going to do on Easter uh, Easter of 2017 is we want to launch a sixth campus, a campus that is regional in mission uh, in Michigan that will be led by Pastor Torrance Scott. And so from next fall onwards, we will start to assemble this team with all of the preparation work to actually send people from here to another city. We're working together with the West Michigan District to identify where that will be. In a few moments, you'll have a, an opportunity to, uh, to speak to Torrent. But are you getting the feel here? We actually take the Great Commission really seriously. Behind all of this, all of this is just a tool for us to get really healthy at home in order to sustain the ministry that we have and the responsibility that we have to take the message of Jesus from here to the ends of the world. Now, I've done enough talking. I think it's time to meet our campus pastors. Would you like that? We try to get Pastor Sandy from Indonesia and Pastor Panna from Cambodia here, but guess what? They can't come. (laughs) How ironic. We can't go, they can't come. So I've asked Micah to come up here and introduce, we tried to use uh, technology, but guys, uh, meet the uh, newest uh, campus pastors from Central. Micah, thanks. Are we having fun yet? It's like the mission's water hose. Well, it used to take months to get to the other side of the world and often people would die in the process, and now we can just fly, get there in a couple days, and with modern technology, we can communicate with our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world. And what we wanted to do was get them presently here or have them communicate themselves, but technology wasn't even friendly to us over Skype. So instead of showing a 30-minute train wreck of an interview with our pastors, what I did was I consolidated. I, I'm going to provide a, a first-person synopsis of their hearts and what came through in that conversation. And so I want you to meet uh, Pastor Pana and Pastor Sandy. I see you great. The picture quality is awesome. Now I hear some buzzing. Yes, sir. Can you hear me now? Yes. Can you hear me, Pastor? I hear you. No? Oh, that's great. I hear you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank thank Lord. Oh, man, that's fantastic. My name is Pastor Nuth Pana, and I'm bringing hope and life to the people of Phnom Penh, Cambodia. I believe God will use us to bring hope and life to other provinces of Cambodia also. I've been married since 2008. I have two children, a son and a daughter. My daughter is seven years old and is grade two at the public school. My son is two years old. I really thank God for these blessings. My family has been a real encouragement to me in the ministry. I came to know Jesus in 2001. At that time, I decided to go to Bible school. Asking to go to Bible school is really hard for me because I'm the oldest and have a lot of responsibility in the family because my father and mother died when I was young. On October 19th, 2014, we started our church. We had 435 people come to join as we launched our church. 
In my church, I have the vision that we focus not just on the spiritual. We give people some encouragement, some professional training. We set them up with a partner who will give them some training for income generation for their families. We do a needs assessment, what they really need, and then find ways for income for their family. I'm not just giving them advice, but I encourage them and help them to know their skills and talent and what they can do to earn income for their family. We bring light to the community, and it will become a big light. It will shine throughout the community. As you know, Jesus is the light, and we are also. We bring this light to the people. The greatest challenge for us is that here, people believe in Buddha. It's the strongest religion in the nation. I need to train more young people to be leaders so we can share the gospel with more people. My experience is that many children and young people who come to Jesus bring their parents as well. The parents are surprised with the testimony of their son or daughter. My dream is more than 10 churches in Phnom Penh. We have 12 districts in Phnom Penh and my dream is to have one church planted in each district. We will bring them hope and life and their life will be eternal with Jesus and not just here, not just there, but life here My name is Pastor Sandy Bahaja. I was a Muslim. I was sinful. I fell into drugs before I met Jesus Christ. In 2003, I was going to Malaysia to work, and I went for a medical checkup for work. I had been pronounced by the doctor with HIV. That was the first time I thought I needed God. I had heard about Jesus Christ before, that he can cure any kind of disease, that year in 2003, I decided to go to church and accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. In April 2003, I was baptized. At that time, I wanted to be cured, but I remembered a scripture from the Bible. John 24 says, be happy for those who believe but didn't see. At that time, I really put my hands into God's hands. I said to God, God, cure or no cure, you are still my God. From that day on, I felt peace and I felt God was arranging my life. God led me through seminary school. God gave me the opportunity to be the shepherd in my church. Today, I can enjoy many blessings from God. God gave me a family, a wife, and two months ago, God gave me a boy. Indonesia is the biggest Muslim country in the world. Two days ago, Bogar has been declared the most intolerant city in Indonesia to Christians. But I want my church to spread the Bible to be light and salt, and this church will win a lot of souls. The church will grow to the glory of God. The community of Bogor is split in two, the rich and the poor. We usually reach out to the people who are middle to lower class. There are a lot of needs for them. They need jobs, healthcare, education. Our church provides private education for primary school, grade 12 and below. It is also free. The goal is to reach out to them and also to their parents. Our church started in a house with 17 people. In a year, God had made it into 30 people. For the past five years, we moved seven times before we finally settled in the place that we are now because we usually get evicted. There is a law in Bogor that you can't use a house to teach religious things other than where we are now. We now have two services, morning and evening. In the morning, there is around 80 to 75. In the evening, 30 to 40 people. Please pray that our church will get bigger and bigger and the people who come to our church will mature and understand more about Jesus, that our church can be vocal and spread the word of God. 
that we would have courage and not be scared. These men and their families are absolutely amazing. Um, at this time, I'd also love to take an opportunity for you to get to know Pastor Jose Pacheco a little bit better, uh, campus pastor of Central LaRocco. Will you welcome him as he comes to the stage? Hola, ¿cómo está? Muy bien, ¿y tú? Yes. <laughs> now, Jose, I speak 10 languages. Actually, I can only do greetings in 10 languages, but it still counts. So if we can just kind of, your English is so good. Let's just continue this uh, interview in English. Is that okay? Let's do it in English. Okay. <laughs> um, Pastor Jose, just briefly share a bit of your story so we can get to know you more. Uh, well, I'm originally from Puerto Rico. I met the Lord there when I was 16. And um, we uh, went to Bible school after that. Um, we planted a church in Puerto Rico, uh, and we pastored there for six years. We came to the States uh, in 1999. I met my wife, been married to my wife uh, for 28 years. We have three kids, three grandkids. And um, in uh, 2005, the Lord uh, led us lead the uh, La Roca Church. Tell us a little bit about uh, La Roca Church. Well, La Roca started uh, back in 2001, started at a basement of a former pastor, Ray Morales, and um, we started meeting at the uh, block back in 2001, and then we moved to the chapel, and then we moved to the north side, and then we back here in, in Central, now we meet here at the chapel. Now, there are a lot of challenges that you see in the Hispanic community that many of us might not be aware of. Um, as a pastor, can you share some of the challenges that uh, you see in your community? Well, uh, there's a few challenges that uh, Hispanic community faces right now, and one of them is housing. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard to find. It's not affordable for what uh, the low-income people makes here. And then we have uh, immigration is one of the biggest uh, challenges that we have. And uh, five years ago, we lost 11 families from deportation. We have uh, families and uh, wives and kids left behind because the, the dads were deported. And we also faced the um, uh, young people joining the gangs in Holland. And we're working through that. And there are people coming from all over to be a part of La Roca. Where are they coming from? Well, we have people coming from Grand Rapids, from Lansing. Uh, Fanville, Pullman, Zeeland, Holland, of course. It's amazing. <laughs> um, Pastor Jose, tell us your dream for your community. Well, our dream is to, uh, to be a community center for the Hispanic community and uh, join a central submission to reach as many people as we can. I know that we can bring um, uh, hope, we can bring... Um, um, Education, but most of all, we want to be able to reach as many Hispanic we can for, for the Lord. How large is that population in, in Holland? Um, right now, uh, statistics says that there's only like seven to 8,000, but um, it's, it's like fifteen to 20,000 in the Ottawa County uh, unreached um, Hispanics. 
Well, it's amazing to be partnered with Central. Let's show our appreciation for Pastor Jose. Gracias, amigo. Gracias a ti. All right. And for our next regional campus, as it was announced, Pastor Torrance Scott. Thank you. We're, we're, we said this was supposed to be like an interview, and he's like, I got one question for you. And uh, giving me one question and then five minutes to answer it is like trouble. But I'm going to do my best. He doesn't even let me ask the question anymore. I, know, just, I, I just don't, do it. I? So, so first of all, let me just say how unbelievably thankful I am to be on staff here at Central. Um, I love this church. Uh, I love what this church has been about, and I love what this church is being about. Uh, I'm passionate uh, about the vision that Pastor Craig, well, okay, that God has for this church, that Pastor Craig is being faithful and obedient to listening to, that our elders are leading forth in the way that our staff is coming around. Like, I think and love this place. So uh, I'm excited about what's happening here. Uh, when uh, Craig and I actually started having conversations, I mean, man, this was back, I think, last November, so about a year ago, actually. He was kind of talking about uh, the vision um, that God was beginning to, to, to lay on his heart. Um, I saw the, the type of leader he was, and I said, man, that's, that's a guy I'd love to work alongside, that I'd love to work for, that I'd love to learn from. And we continued to have conversations because, the, the, Micah, the, the position was for discipleship and formation, which is what I'm doing right now. And uh, when, I, when I found Christ, uh, well, okay, when I got serious about my faith, when I would say God found me uh, in 10th grade, I just got passionate about uh, helping people know Jesus, uh, like influencing people for Christ. I'm the oldest of nine, and I saw how I interacted with my younger brothers and sisters, and when I wasn't living for Christ, what they kind of followed. And then when I was living for Christ, how they actually kind of started to follow that. And uh, so I just got passionate about influencing people for, for Jesus when I was at Flint Northern High School uh, as a 10th grader. And uh, that kind of continued on for me. And, and I was like, man, this is awesome. And then I found out that uh, churches will actually uh, supply a salary for people to influence uh, others about Jesus. And I was like, oh my goodness, like that's the best thing ever. Like uh, that, I'd do it for free and there's a church that might be willing to pay me to do it. Like that's great. So uh, I love my job. Uh, there's nothing more that I would want to do. A lot of things I like doing, nothing that I would want to do vocationally other than help people know Jesus. And uh, so to be able to come on staff for about two years and help uh, begin to take what has already been formed over the last hundred years that God has done in raising up disciples and continue to grow that, to mold that, to shape that. Like, I was like, wow, what a privilege. But I also knew that the, the thing, that, the ways that God had gifted me uh, was in the areas of teaching and leading. And it was a, a little over a decade ago, about 13 years ago, that, that God kind of revealed to Brenda and I that someday he was going to call us to lead a church. And we didn't know when that was going to happen. And uh, the, the route to, to that happening ha has been winding, and God has shaped us and molded us. And when Craig shared with me just a few months ago, hey, Torn, would you be willing to come on, help us with some discipleship and formation stuff, and then we'd like you to be our first regional campus plant. I said, dude, that's, that's what I've been asking God for. And so I'm so stinking pumped to uh, uh, begin. We've been praying for a little while now about where that's going to be. I have a heart for urban centers. Um, I love working with folks that, uh, um, that think that they don't need God. Uh, that feel like they've got life by the tail. And I like working with folks uh, who know that they need God because I like being the bridge between those two worlds. And in urban centers, you have the ability, the opportunity to do that. So we're praying about downtown Detroit. 
crazy place, beautiful place, place that's on the rise, go D. Uh, praying about uh, Lansing, downtown Lansing, we're praying about downtown Grand Rapids. Uh, those are all three places that our heart is open to God. But uh, we're saying, God, God, wherever you want us, you just tell us where and, and we'll go. And so we're working with the West Michigan District uh, um, with Chris Conrad and to just really say, okay, God, where is it? And uh, what, if, what burden have you placed on our hearts? And uh, what we're hoping um, is that about a year from now, uh, next fall, uh, we're going to actually be gathering some staff that's going to go out with me um, to wherever God's uh, leading us. Uh, Easter of 17, we hope to have uh, our first service where we'll start having weekly services and wherever that's at. And I'm actually hoping that God might be begin stirring in some of your hearts, that God's placing a burden on, on you to say, you know what, I want to be a part of starting something new. I want to be a part of actually seeing uh, a new work for the gospel uh, start to grow up and that God might actually lead you to become a part of the core team that helps get this campus planted. So uh, we're excited, man. We love Woo. this place. And so, mm, all right. Are we stoked to see what God's going to do through this campus and yeah. Torrance leadership? So I've got to run because I'm actually teaching a class on how to study the Bible right now, and they let me go. So I'm going to run back down there. But thank you, guys. I'm so stoked about what God's doing here. I it's do have awesome. one question. Oh, yes. We're going to miss you. Can your beard stay? <laughs> if my wife has her way, it will. <laughs> see you guys. And sure, thanks for our campus pastors. You're probably wondering how in the world are we going to accomplish this over the next couple years, especially with international campuses. And I want to direct your attention now to the screen. Good morning. My name is Kelly Green. My wife Beth and I are excited about being here at Central. I will have the privilege of joining the team as the staff evangelist. A couple of things I'll be responsible for are serving as campus pastor for all the international campuses, which our first is Jakarta, Indonesia, and others in the very near future, and also facilitating some strategies for impacting the greater Holland area. I've had the privilege of being in the ministry for 44 years, and I am incredibly excited to be part of what God is doing right here at Central. The Water's Edge vision is near and dear to my own heart, and I'm really looking forward to partnering with many of you as we follow God's will and looking forward to seeing you very soon. God bless. Uh, staff member here, Kelly Green. He is an evangelist who has preached in over 1,500 churches in the United States, led over about a million people, I believe, uh, to Christ, and is actually recorded on the record as leading the last known revival that happened on these shores. He's 64 years old. He's got the energy of a 24-year-old energizer bunny, and we really believe that uh, we will benefit greatly from his experience and also from his anointing because guess what? We don't just need to reach the end of the world. We need to reach here too, and having someone to do both of those will make sure that that spiritual temperature stays at the heart of everything we're doing. Now, uh, do you feel like, whoa, I've come into a fire hydrant here? Uh, I'm sure you do. So what we've done is that we have created a mechanism for you to ask questions, okay? The questions that, um, that you will undoubtedly have with this, we do want to answer um, literally. If you have any questions, watersedge at centralwesleyan.org. Write the questions, email them to us. Some of you may not like doing that in email. That's why there are little question cards that you can have um, if you go to the information desk. Write us, write us the question, and here's what we're going to do on December the 6th, which is... Uh, couple of Sundays from now, we're actually going to have written answers to all of those questions. So there's no question that's done. 
This is a new paradigm, a new concept. We want to make sure that as many of you can be taken with us on this journey as want to be taken with us. And so please make use of this mechanism. Ask us the questions. We recognize there's so much information in here, and we haven't even scratched the surface of this. So on Tuesday, a number of us are going away for a day just to answer your questions. And then we're going to be pleased in a couple of weeks just to give that back to you. God's doing a lot. He's doing an awful lot in this church, and we're really excited. And what we're going to do right now, we're going to respond in worship to this. We're going to worship firstly, obviously, vocally through singing, but we're also going to worship through the giving of um, just the offering. We're going to give back to God what He has given to us. It's coming to the end of the year, and I know that many of you have lots of different choices about where you give. But I hope what you're beginning to get a glimpse of today is what you give to when you give to Central. We've been blessed with an incredible facility. But what we give ourselves to is the mission of Jesus Christ. We want the message of Jesus to go out from here to the ends of the earth. And so Central, every time you give, you give to people like Jose. You give to people like Panna. You give to people like Sandy, who risk an awful lot to live for Jesus. I can't think of anything greater to give to than that. <clears throat> what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite the ushers to come. We're going to take the offering, and Mike here and the team are going to lead us in worship as we do that. I've asked Pastor Jose if he would just pray for us in Spanish. Um, some of you will understand. I won't understand, but God does. Um, and as we do that, as we uh, just give the offering, just start to think over any questions that you have, and then Micah will just lead us in worship. Jose, please pray for us. Will you join me in prayer, please? Señor y Dios, te doy gracias, Padre, en esta mañana en el nombre de tu hijo amado Jesús. Te agradezco por cada persona que está aquí en esta iglesia, Central Wesleyan, y te pido, Padre amado, que tú... Bendiga, Señor, cada persona que va a ofrendar, que va a diezmar, que va a poner su dinero a tus pies en esta mañana, Señor. Te pido, Padre amado, que tú bendiga, Señor, cada ofrenda, Señor, que tú le pongas un buen uso, Señor, a esta ofrenda que vamos a recoger esta mañana. Señor, bendice al dador alegre, Señor, en esta mañana. Todo te lo pedimos en el nombre de Jesús. Amén. Central, let's give his tithes and offerings. Thank you, Mike.
rescue Calvary Where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds, his hands, his feet My Savior on that cursed tree Body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The ancient seed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all
God, for endless days, we will sing your praise just as we are now. But in the here and now, as we recognize you, Christ, your rule and reign on earth, I pray that our worship would fuel us, that your spirit would fill us to be compelled, to be inspired, to be filled with courage, to both share and show the hope that the gospel brings here, there, and everywhere. When we see what's happening in and through us, the only thing that we can do is look to you and say thank you. I pray that we would be faithful with how your spirit is moving in and through Central. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. amen. Grace and peace, as you go, there is prayer available out the doors and to the right. There are always people down front to pray with you as well. God bless you. See you next week.